Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. You know, for me, when I became a Christian, I was raised in a, in a, in a church and a Christian family. I literally, from the time I was about two weeks old, um, I was in the, in the pews and, uh, you know, going to church. My parents, my dad was the worship leader. He was on the church board. Uh, they were very active. He taught a Sunday school class. My mom led uh, worship for the children's uh, ministry and, and taught Sunday school and did all these things. And I always say my first drug problem happened when I was a kid because my parents drugged me to church like Wednesday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. It was really horrible. I got to where, you know, I just didn't want anything to do with church. But uh, I was raised that way, and then I sort of completely abandoned that uh, for about four-plus years uh, I just I don't want anything to do with it. It's just religion. It's just legalism. Uh, it's law. And I can make my own laws up. And I think mine are better than the ones they have because my life will be more fun. Somewhere along the road, um, God, through the prayers of my parents and other people, and listen, if you are praying for a child or a loved one or a friend or somebody that uh, is not connected, just know this, those prayers never go unanswered. God is actually working right now as we are sitting here if they're not connected. God is moving on their heart. So he was moving on my heart. At the age of 19, I walked into a church on a Sunday morning and, and I, I said yes when they gave the invitation to follow Jesus. I said yes. And I didn't feel anything at the moment, but as I began to understand it within a week, this joy began to overtake my life. And one of the things that happened to me was coming out of that kind of darkness, um, you know, everything was so brand new. The language was new. I didn't understand the words they used. They had a lot of coded language. And But one of the things that I just connected with instantly was the worship. We had a lady by the name of Carla Real who went on to have a recording um, career in, as a Christian musician, but she used to do like, uh, from the St. Louis area, she used to do like commercials and jingles. So she was an amazing singer and songwriter, and she would lead us in worship every Sunday morning. And and I couldn't explain it, but somehow in those moments, I would feel and sense God. And some of us are more feelers than others, but I would feel and sense God's presence, and it felt so tangible and so real in those moments that I just couldn't get enough of worship. And I didn't understand why that was. I didn't know why that was, but all I knew was I could not wait till the band struck the first chord because that was the place that I wanted to live in. And I came to realize later on there was a reason for that, but I just didn't know it. And I just knew that it was something that would change my life. And so fast forward, um, I had the opportunity for over a decade to lead worship in a couple of different churches. Um, I love leading worship and I love the opportunity to lead people in the presence of God. But one of the things I learned as a worship leader is I could never really judge how well I was doing uh, leading people into God's presence based on the audience because sometimes some people looked like they were about to just jump through the roof and other people were like hands in pocket, like, you know, like they looked like they were a thousand miles away from where I was in that service. And I realized this, that having led worship for years, I would have people say, is there any way you could shorten the worship service so we could get to the teaching, the really critical stuff? And I'd be like, hey, thank you. <laughs> no, we're probably not going to do that. Um, and, and, and there were other people who uh, were sort of somewhere between. They're like, well, you know, it's okay. Like, I like it and stuff, but like, you know, it's not that big a deal. And I realized, I was like, what, what's the disconnect here? Because these people um, are not experiencing what I'm experiencing. They're not they're not having this same moment that I'm having, and there's some kind of disconnect here. And, you know, 
you know, you look around and if you're from a more conservative church like I was, you look around and people are moving a little bit. We never moved in my church. We just sat still, had our hymn books out. We didn't see people raise hands. You know, that's in the Bible as well. We didn't see people do any of that stuff. So maybe you're like, yeah, I'm not really sure about all this. Well, we want to kind of dive into this a little bit today. And I would just say this, you know, songs and music are a gift from God. Think about it. They really are. God created that. Can you imagine a world that didn't have music in it or song? I cannot. I would not want to live in that world. And God, that's his gift to us. And as a matter of fact, I don't know about you guys, but I use Spotify and, and I have all these playlists, right, that I, I listen to for worship and so on. God's playlist has 150 songs on it. It's in your Bible. It's called the book of Psalms. God put a playlist in the Bible. It's pretty amazing to me. And so I want to look at some of the reasons why God would call us to worship him. And here's the main thought that I want us to catch today. And simply this, that worship allows our hearts to feel and our minds to remember his word. So a lot of times when we talk about praise and worship, and I'm not going to go real in depth on this. Sometimes we just say, you know, what, what, what is this? You know, I hear all kinds of definitions, but Worship actually comes from an old English word, which is two words, worth and ship. And those words essentially are talking about what's the value or the price of something. You take the Latin word for praise, and praise just means value or price, right? So essentially when it comes to praising God, it's you're proclaiming his value to you. So, you know, years ago there was a, a gentleman, um, he still goes out and speaks, but his name was Dr. Gary Smalley. Uh, he's probably the most well-known for his book on the five love languages. It's a quick, easy read. Uh, if you've never read it, I highly encourage you to read it. But he would go around and lecture. And one of the things that he would do is while he was lecturing, he would uh, have people pass a violin around. And they'd start to hand this violin from one person to another, to another, to another. And it's just going around. And he's just talking. He's just talking. It's working its way through that crowd that he's speaking to. And then at a certain point, he would stop and say, oh, by the way, I just wanted to let you know, the violin that you guys are passing around, that's actually not just any violin. That's actually called a Stradivarius. That's actually worth, the violin that you're passing around is worth a quarter of a million dollars. How many of you know it went from like a casual baton to like, <laughs> I don't want to break it, right? Why? What happened? There suddenly was a value that they had attached to that object that did not exist before. And the way that I approach worship and the way that you approach worship is completely based on the value that we attach to the one that we're worshiping. So, you know, I don't know about you guys, but one of my favorite places, my wife calls me a California snob. If you don't know, I was raised there. And, and I guess I am a little bit of a California snob, but I love the beaches there. And I love sunsets. They're pretty amazing. And wouldn't you admit that if you were standing at a beach watching a sunset or maybe something you enjoy and you're watching that set, when you look at that, doesn't just something naturally happen to you? Like, I don't sit there and go, I will do A, B, and C. No, I just go, if it's just me, I'm just thinking to myself, man, that is like, that's so awesome. That's, that's God, that's beautiful. You know, I just, I look at it. If somebody's with me, I'll just go, look at that. Isn't that amazing? And what am I saying? Essentially, that that thing that's happening is actually evoking praise from me. It's causing praise to come out of me because of what I'm seeing. And so 
You're simply reacting to what you're experiencing. In the same way, praise is simply a reaction in the Psalms to two things. In the Psalms, we see praise revolve around two things or react to two things. Who God is. Who is God to you? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm under his care at this very moment. He's got my back. He's taking care of me. Oh, I can thank him for that. Who he is, his character, his goodness. Those are all things that I can respond to and react to. And the other thing is what he has done, his mighty acts. God just answered my prayer and oh, there you go. What God has done, what he is doing and what he will yet do. So praise kind of revolves around those things. So in other words, we're responding. Do you remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and all these people began to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, they were just giving him praise. And his critics said, hey, you need to shut that down. You need to shut that down. You need to stop them from praising you. That's not right. And Jesus said this, and I don't think this was a metaphor. And there are many metaphors in the Bible, but I don't think this one was a metaphor. He said, if they don't praise me, the stones and the rocks will do the job for them. Because his presence evokes praise. And so that's a little bit about what worship is. But I want to take a look particularly today at three things that are found in our New Testament. And one of them connects us back to the Psalms. And so we're going to go to Colossians 3.16. Verse, uh, yeah, the first verse says, Remember what Christ taught and let his words enrich your lives and make you wise. Teach them to each other and sing them out. And hear this, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing to the Lord with thankful hearts and whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus and come into the presence of God the Father to give him your thanks. So he's saying, first of all, in verse 16, let the words that Jesus taught us dwell in us richly, enrich our lives or completely fill your life in abundance. And the next part of this verse goes on to show you one of the ways that you can allow that to happen or that you can allow the word of God to go deep into your heart, and that's through praise. And so we're told to what? To both teach and to sing the words of Christ to one another. And so one of the ways to remember what Christ taught or to remember his word and let it get deep inside of you is through worship. And so here's three things. The Psalms. What are the Psalms? Number one, that just refers to the book of Psalms in your Bible. There are 150 of them. The second thing is hymns. This is the most common type of song that we sing here at Believer's Church. Hymns aren't dependent upon a musical style, so it can be amazing grace in a very traditional sense, or it can be reckless love. But what are hymns? Songs are, they are basically, hymns are songs about him. Hymns are songs about him. And then finally, spiritual songs. These are songs that come by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They're what you might call impromptu. They're not planned out. They're, they're not pre-planned. They can be in a spiritual language like tongues. But they can also be prophetic in nature or it could just be simply we're inspired. It's sort of like Mary. Remember when she met with her cousin Elizabeth? She said, my soul hath magnified the Lord and my spirit does rejoice in God, my Savior. That wasn't planned. That was a simple praise that came out of her mouth in just a moment by inspiration. And so let's talk a little bit. So those are three ways that we do this. So let's talk a little bit about remembering the truth in your memory. You know, 
My wife often reminds me that I have forgotten many things and I have learned to use my phone to put reminders in there, but it only works if you look at the reminders. You still forget, right? So here's the thing. We all know this, right? The, the first way that we learn to remember things as a little kid is through what? Through songs. How did you learn your ABCs? A, I mean, we could go through that song. Everybody here can sing it, right? Most of us can recall the words in this room to hundreds of songs. Even if we haven't heard those songs in a decade, you can still recall those songs. Dr. Oliver Sacks, who studied the effect of music on the brain in his book, Musicophilia, says that every culture has rhymes to help children learn the alphabet, numbers, and other lists. Because as adults, we're limited in our ability to memorize series or to hold them in our mind unless we use a mnemonic device, which helps us with patterns. And the most powerful of those patterns or devices are rhyme and meter and song. Everything that's involved, if you're not a musician, everything that's involved in making a song happen, it helps us remember. So, you know, we know that there's Alzheimer's patients who can't remember who you are from minute to minute. And yet if you put on one of their songs from a, their generation, they can sing word for word that whole song. How does that happen? It goes deep in us. Now, there was a gentleman, I just watched a series, I don't know if you guys are Netflix people, but I just watched a series by Ken Burns on Vietnam. And it's just really interesting to kind of see it. I was a kid growing up when that was happening, so I didn't quite understand it. Um, and it was a great series. Um, one of the guys uh, that was a POW in Vietnam, his name was Doug Hegdahl. And Doug was in the United States Navy. He was captured, and I believe he was put into the Hanoi Hilton, as they called it, put into prison. And he just made a decision. He said, you know what? When I come in here, I'm going to play like I'm absolutely dumb. And so when he went in, he told the guards, he said, well, I don't read or write. I'm illiterate. And they just thought, oh, man, we got somebody we can manipulate because he's not smart. So they gave him a tutor, and he on purpose intentionally failed miserably at reading and writing. And so the guards dubbed him the fool or the stupid one. And because he was the stupid one in their eyes, he had freedom to wander about and do things that none of the other prisoners had. And then they thought, this guy is so dumb, let's just get a little PR with the American people and release one of their prisoners of war's little goodwill and will fuel the fire of this anti-war theme, right? And I'm not taking a position here, but that was their thinking. Let's fuel the fire. And so they released Doug Hegdahl, the stupid one, the fool, the idiot. But guess what Doug was able to do? Doug wasn't an idiot. When he came back, he was a gold mine of information. I'll tell you what he did. He took every single person in that prison, all 256 men, he memorized their capture date, their personal story. Um, he memorized uh, how long they had been there and so on and the details of their capture. And he memorized all 256 names. And a lot of them were not, they did not even know if these men were alive or dead, many of them. And he put them on the record. Do you know how he did that? Do you know how he memorized 256 names and personal stories? Old MacDonald had a farm. Dave Cazzini lives in Austin Town. E-I-E-I-O. He plays the bass at Boardman Campus. E-I-E-I-O. With a D chord here and a C chord there. Here a chord, there a chord. No, you know what I'm... Sorry. Sorry, Dave. I didn't mean to put you on blast there. He memorized all that, you know, because your memory can hold on to things. You know, uh, another uh, 
very famous musician is Andre Crouch, uh, the late Andre Crouch, who actually ministered at our church a number of times when I lived in California, and I got a chance to meet him a few times. And he was an incredible, uh, incredibly gifted uh, gospel writer and singer, but he also collaborated with just about every big-name person in the secular arena as well. He was incredible uh, in his ability. And I remember him telling this story. His dad was a pastor a few miles from where I grew up, and he told this story. He said, you know, he said, when I got into the higher mass, he goes, I just kept failing. He said, I came home one day and said, Dad, I just can't get this math. I can't figure it out. And his dad said, Andre, whenever you hear a song just one time, you never forget it. Why don't you start writing your formulas to a song? And do you know what he did? He took his math formulas and he began to put them to a song. Do you know what? From then on, he got straight A's. Would you agree that there's something powerful about a song and our ability to remember the words of that song? And how much more powerful is it when we're taking the words of Christ and putting them in our hearts? Because songs don't just touch your intellect, they touch your emotion. And how many of you know we're told to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our body? He's saying with everything within you, you need to have love for God. And so that's all of us. That's the complete package. And working in uh, worship and singing help to connect both our heart and mind. And I want you to hear this. Worship connects our heart and mind and it allows us to feel. I want to say that again, to feel the truth of the gospel. I love what Harold Best says. He said, God has taken the most precise way of communicating truth, which is words, and combined it with the vaguest way of communicating truth, which is music. And he's put them together to make singing. Listen to this. The purpose is that we know with our minds or what we know with our minds gets connected in our hearts. Can you see that? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? By teaching it to one another and by singing out in psalms, in hymns and spiritual songs. That's how these things begin to lodge deep on the inside of us. How many know when we sing a song, we tend to slow the pace and repeat phrases over and over and over again. And isn't that just another way to meditate the word of God? Um, I don't know how many of you've heard that song a couple of years ago, Christine DeMarco um, at a women's conference that was made into an album called You Make Me Brave. She did a song uh, just titled it as well. But what she did was she did an original song and then she tagged it with that classic hymn, but she did it in a contemporary style. And if you've ever heard that song, that song, like it just builds and it just it moves you greatly. But let me read and I'm just going to read a small portion of the lyrics to you in that song. You ready for this? And through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you and through it all, through it all, it is well and through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you and it is well, it is well. So let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and winds still know his name. So let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and winds still know his name. So let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and winds still know his name. The waves and winds still know his name. Anybody talk that way? I don't. You ready for this? She's not even done. And it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Anybody here get emotionally moved by that? I didn't. I wasn't moved at all. But if I was to have the band get up there and, and do that song right now, you would start to be moved by that song. And what are you doing? You're, you're not talking in a way you would normally talk. What are you doing? You're repeating a phrase over and over and over. So let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and the wind still know his name and obey him. Right? We're meditating 
the word of God. Does that, does that make sense to you? So here's what I want to say. Something mystical or even supernatural, you could say, happens when we worship. And this is what I didn't understand as a 19-year-old, but I came to understand as I began to look into the scriptures. And so I want to read a passage that many of you might know, but it's sort of the companion verse of the one we started with in Colossians. And in Ephesians 5.18, it says, Don't destroy yourself by getting drunk. But let the Spirit fill your life. When you meet together, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs as you praise the Lord with all your heart. So the first thing it tells us here is it says, don't get drunk with alcohol because it's not good for you. It's destructive, right? And some of us, if you're like me, you live long enough where you can say amen to that statement. It was destructive. It was the first part of my life that was destructive. In my younger days, I did a lot of drinking, and I can tell you this, I hung around a lot of people who drank, and they did a lot of dumb things that they wouldn't normally do. Anybody been around a drunk person? You ever know that sometimes drunk people don't use a lot of common sense? Like, guys would walk up to guys twice their size and pick a fight, and I'd be just like, that has to be the Jack Daniels talking. It couldn't be him, because if he was in his right mind, he would never say what he just said. People do dumb things. I remember a buddy of mine, um, his frat, they, they, would, they would do a lot of drinking, and he told me a story about how they, they botched a job for a guy because one night a guy, while they were on a drinking bench, passed out, and they thought it would be funny while he was passed out to dry eyeballs on his eyelids. But the only problem was is he had to go for a job interview the next day, and every time he blinked, because it was permanent marker, every time he blinked, the interviewer was seeing eyeballs. So, you know, how many know he didn't get that job? <laughs> it probably seemed like a good idea at the moment. But, you know, you wouldn't do that if you were sober. So in this verse, we see him draw a comparison between alcohol. He's comparing it now. He's comparing alcohol to being filled with the Spirit of God. And being filled with the Spirit of God is actually the opposite of getting drunk because alcohol, if you don't know this, is a depressant. In other words, alcohol depresses your ability to take in truth, which is what makes you happy. It blocks stuff out. It distorts reality, and you block out the things that are making you unhappy. That's why we call it medicating, right? And so if you or I have had too many drinks, we're going to get pulled over by a cop if we happen to be out there driving, right? Now, in your state, you call it an OVI, but in a lot of states, they call it a DUI. DUI stands for driving under the influence. Because when you drive under the influence, it makes you reckless to yourself and to others, just like Paul taught us. And listen, I'm not proud of this, but I remember when I was 18, I came back from school, met a buddy of mine, and we thought it was an occasion, me coming back from school to celebrate. So we got drunk. His girlfriend was with us in my truck, and she wasn't drunk. And I don't know why. Well, I do know why, because I was under the influence, and I was an idiot. And uh, we were driving, and I thought it would be funny on this one-lane pass to just, like, zoom over every once in a while, play a little chicken, and then zoom back. And I did that to several cars, and we were just laughing our heads off. And then we did it again, and all of a sudden, that girl who wasn't drunk said, oh, that was a cop, and he's turning around, and I said, oh, my God, <laughs> this is not going to end well. That's the only time I ran from a cop. <laughs> I did run from the cop. I'm not going to tell you how the story ended. Anyways, this arm still works. No, I'm just... But how many know when we're, we're encouraged not to be drunk, we're encouraged to be continually filled, to be filled with the Spirit. In other words, to drive under the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And being filled with the Spirit, as we said, it's the complete opposite of being drunk, but it's compared to it because people go to alcohol and substances for courage, for joy, to make themselves feel good. That's why they go to it. The Scripture says that 
We can get all these things from the Holy Spirit that people are trying to get from substances. When they're getting drunk, they're losing self-control, but we're not. When we're filled with the Spirit, we're living under His influence. And what does that mean? That means when I'm under His influence, I begin to see life through His eyes, from His perspective. And when I see my life, my circumstances, my situations through His eyes and from His perspective, I suddenly have a change on the inside of me. I'm no longer bummed out. Oh, no, Paul said, hey, I am so happy that I have all these trials and afflictions going on because you know what they're doing for me, Graham? Graham, they are making this beautiful eternal crown in heaven. And you know, by the way, this is just lightweight stuff. I mean, the fact that people have whipped me and done all these things, thrown rocks at me, because this is lightweight stuff. He goes, because I understand the purpose of God in everything that's happening, because I'm living under the influence. I'm driving under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It changes us. And that can come by speaking out in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Listen to what Ephesians 5.18 says again. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Oh, I love this translation. Drink the Spirit of God, huge draughts of Him. How cool is that translation? Don't just sing one song, sing another. Don't just sing another, sing another. How far do you want to go? See what it's saying here? And I love that because those songs will fill our heart. And when we're singing from the depths of our soul, the Spirit of God is involved in that. There's a filling it says, be filled. There's, there's a filling process. You may not, you know, in other words, you don't have to focus on that. You just do that. The Holy Spirit does his part. He begins to fill us. We become full of God, alive with the presence of God. That's what I experienced as a 19 year old. I didn't know how to explain it, but I was coming alive with the presence of the living God. Just every time I came to church into a worship service, it was changing me from the inside out. Why is that? Because when you and I come together here, even in Boardman every week to worship, something supernatural happens. Psalm 22, 3. You sit as the Holy One. The praises of Israel are your throne. So in other words, when we begin to worship, the Bible says that God sets His throne or sits down among those praises. When you begin to sing and to worship, it's like a personal invitation to the Father. And Jesus met a woman at the well. Um, he came to her, or He was sitting at the well. She came out to draw. And he said, hey, can you give me a drink? And she said, why are you asking me for a drink? And he said, well, if you knew who it was that was talking to you, you'd ask me for a drink, and I'd give you living water. And she says, you don't even have anything to draw. You have no buckets to draw water with. And he said, no, no, the water I'm talking about is like an artesian spring. That's water that runs from downhill, and it bubbles up. It's like a gusher. He said, it's like an artesian spring running from downhill. And he said, if you drink of this water that you're getting from the well, You'll be back tomorrow. You'll be thirsty again. He goes, but if you drink from the water that I give you, it'll continually bubble up inside you and quench that thirst, that thing that you've been chasing and everything else. It'll satisfy you. It'll fill you if you come you know, to me. And so without her telling him anything, he says, you've been married five times. The person you're living with now isn't your husband. And suddenly she goes, hold on a second. You're a prophet. I know you're a prophet, right? And she said, hey, by the way, you know, we Jews and Samaritans hate each other. And we Samaritans are saying that Samaria is the place where we're to worship God. You Jews say it has to be in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, I want you to know something. There's a day come, a day's coming where geography won't matter. It won't matter whether you're in Boardman or Warren or Timbuktu. What will matter are two components. And he said, as a matter of fact, while I'm speaking, it's actually happening right now. And look what he says in verse 23. But the time is coming and is already here 
when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way. So we have to have two elements. You have to have the truth and you have to have your heart. We know that the Bible tells us again and again that we're to praise the Lord with all of our heart, right? To love him with all of our heart. Jesus said in one place, he said, you're praising me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So when you're singing out, you're putting your heart into it. Do you ever do a job where your heart just wasn't in it? You don't do it the same, do you? The same, put your heart in it. Second thing is truth. You can't really worship this God unless you know him. How can you? How can you attach proper value to him unless you know him? And you can't know him apart from the truth, which is found in your Bible. So the truth becomes critical in our worship. And that's why, that's why we pay. You may not know this, but every song that's played on our campuses goes through an approval process. Why? Because we're looking at not just how good it sounds, but we're also looking at the message that is bringing to you guys every single week because that stuff's going to stick in you. So the Father today is looking for anyone who will worship him. And I want to be able to say, hey, look no further here. I'm here, Lord. So I want to just close with this last verse. In Psalm 56, 7, it says, I will bring them to my holy mountain and make them happy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar because my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The interesting thing about that is God has defined church as a house of prayer. But do you know that word prayer there in the Hebrew? That's the same word that we find all throughout the book of Psalms. And that word right there simply means this. It's a prayer that is set to music and sung in worship. I'll repeat that again. It's a prayer that's set to music and sung in worship. Think about the Psalms. What are the Psalms? We're reading them dry, but every single one of those things was a prayer set to music. You know, I remember hearing this story from Bishop Joseph Garlington. Uh, who's down in the Pittsburgh area. I think he just retired. And I remember hearing this song and or hearing this story that when he was just a young guy who was just going into ministry, um, he was renting a room from a lady who was a foster mom. And this foster mom had a bunch of kids, right? And so he's running this room. He's just trying to mind his own business, stay out of her way. But one day he's in the kitchen And as he's watching all these kids run around, he sees this foster mom. She takes some meds, pops the cap off this med, takes a pill out, throws the pill on the ground in front of a toddler and says to the toddler, don't touch that. And the toddler races over, picks the med up and puts it in his mouth and eats it. And his eyes got real big. She said, I know you're probably wondering why I did that. You're probably wondering why I did that. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm totally blown away. Why'd you do that? She said, well, she said, every time I tried to feed this baby its meds, it would spit them out. She said, but I happened to notice one day when I said to it, don't touch that, it did just the opposite of what I told it. Any mom say amen to that? <laughs> it did just the opposite of what I told it. So I thought, I'm going to try this with the med. So she threw the med down and said, don't eat that. And the baby ate it. She said, I got something that works. Why am I telling you that story? Because some of you in this place, if I was to ask you, how's your prayer life? 
You know what you'd say? Oh man, I, I, I'm not good at prayer. I, 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 I get tongue tied. I, I don't know what to say. I, yeah, I, I, I should pray more, Graham, but I, I, can I just stop you for a second? Do you realize every time we sing these worship songs, you're actually singing a prayer to God? When we worship today, you were singing out words. God tricked you. He was the God who threw the med down. You put it in your mouth and swallowed it. You were singing out these prayers today, right? And this is powerful. When we sing out prayers, they're just as powerful as any other prayer. So today, we're actually going to close by singing out a prayer. Why don't you all stand with us as we sing this song? We thank you so much, Father, that today we're able to come boldly to the throne of grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. You can be seated for just a moment. We thank you, Father, that is the only way to your throne is through that blood, not because of anything that we can do, not because of how good we can be or the works we can do, but simply through faith in the blood. Lord, it says that everyone has sinned, everyone's blown it, everyone's failed and missed the mark. We've all come short of your standard of life and your glory. And that created a bridge and a gap between us. We're so thankful, Father, that you sent your son Jesus to bridge that gap. You so loved us that you gave your only unique son that whoever believed in him wouldn't die but would have everlasting life. And he is the way to the Father. And if you're here today and you've never taken a moment to say, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready. Pastor, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready to give him all, to surrender my all to him, to call out to him as Lord in my life. And I want you to just pray this prayer with me right now. Just very simple. Just from your heart, I'm going to help you pray. Just say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Forgive my sins. Receive me into your kingdom. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. You rose from the dead. I call out to you today. Be Lord of my life. I make a decision to follow you. Amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.